So take a look around. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Every heartbeat, every breath, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He is the ultimate giver. He literally gives us gifts that we can't comprehend. Think about this. There are more electrical impulses generated in one day by a single human brain cell than by all the telephones in the world. Or how about the fact that food tastes delicious? It didn't have to taste delicious. It could have all tasted like kale. But no, it's fantastic. We plan our day around good tasting food. God gave us this. And then there's our health. We're not healthy because we deserve it. We didn't jump in a 55 gallon drum of yogurt and spinach. Our health is a gift, a gift that is too often taken for granted. God has always given to me knowing that he would get little in return. He is a father that enjoys giving good gifts to his children. I've heard it said that it's possible to give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And that is his example. For God so loved the world that he gave. Like most people, I'm often driven by what I don't have when I should be driven to seek the heart of God. Because God's heart is revealed in his generosity. Maybe my heart is too. Church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak on your behalf as your ambassador. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Generosity has the potential to change the world. It was a few years back that I learned about a great organization called Kiva. Kiva specializes in loans that change lives. You can give a loan to the degree of $25, very little, and that can go to someone in Africa to help them buy a goat so that now they can start a family farm and they will repay it once the proceeds come in. I learned about that. I'm like, man, that's a great idea. Awesome. You might have heard of organizations like World Vision and Compassion International. There you can help needy children or needy communities making sure that they have what they need to support themselves, whether it be clean drinking water, whether it be clothes, whether it be medication so they can be healthy and strong. I was talking to one of our leaders, a leader who loves this quote by Chrysostom. Consider this quote. The rich exist for the sake of the poor, and the poor exist for the salvation of the rich. That we have great opportunity to show thankful hearts by how we help the needy among us. I don't know your experience with Amazing Love. We've been around for about 14 years now. But you should know that this church has a rich history of generosity. I still remember one of our first Thanksgivings when we were giving to the Frankfurt Food Pantry and we had about two truckfuls full of stuff with about 50 people. That was amazing. In fact, some uh, years we've had a free garage sale where the proceeds go to the Frankfurt Food Pantry. Uh, here's a picture of the proceeds. Uh, one year we raised $1,022, which was matched doubly by Meyer, which turned into $3,000 for them to buy groceries. It's estimated we've given over $10,000 to the Frankfurt Food Pantry. We've helped the Frankfurt Shelter, 
Uh, we've helped um, an organization that um, does small groups with foster families. Uh, we've been doing My Joyful Heart. In fact, in the lobby this morning is a giving tree where you can take an ornament and give to a child and, uh, and, and make their day. Generosity is also what fuels gospel ministry. Before you ever got here, there was funding that allowed this church to exist. Funding that fuels the proclamation in this community, fuels the excellent representation of God among us. How awesome is it that we get to be here as a representation of Jesus and his amazing love? That would not happen without generosity. So let me ask you, has generosity ever rocked your world? Has it ever changed your life? Now, I have too many stories as you're thinking of yours, but I'll just tell you one. I remember in seminary, which were the lean years, uh, when we had a full-time family and one part-time job. Yeah, I don't know how we got through that one. Uh, The lean years, and I got this gift card to Kohl's to go and buy a suit as a pastor. So I remember picking out this gray pinstripe suit, and then I got to preach at that church that gave me this gift card, and I felt like a million bucks. Here we go. Didn't have it. What about you? Whether it be parents, whether it be about friends, maybe you were in need at one point, and and God showed his generosity through other people. It's amazing when that happens. As we've gathered in this place, there's something you should know about the heart of God. There's a reason he's better than anything the world has to offer because he is a giver. Now, again, I don't know if you're experienced, if you're a Christian watching online, if you're new to this place, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God wants more for you than he ever wanted from you, which is exactly why he gave his son. And what we also recognize is that there is not anything in our lives right now, from the clothes we wear to the food we eat, there's not anything that we have in our possession that didn't first flow through his hands to us. In fact, consider this passage from James. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. I love this last part. God is going to be faithful. He has faithfully provided. He will faithfully provide. He's going to be a father who tries to knock your socks off with his generosity of what he's doing to show you love. That's a good God. And so we recognize that whether it's the peanut butter jelly sandwich that we eat for lunch, whether it's the car that we get into, whether it's the house that we live in, these are all God's gifts to us. You know, someone who recognized that in a phenomenal way is King David. So I want to set the backstory of this. Um, he was planning for the temple of the Lord, and he couldn't build it because he had blood on his hands. He was the warrior king. But that did not stop him from collecting the offerings to fund the temple. In fact, at one point, I believe they gave the largest offering in recorded history. They gave over 300 tons of gold. Now, 300 tons of gold, just to give you a feedback, that's over $19 billion. That's the offering they just gave. In fact, David had to say, hey, can you guys stop giving? We got too much. Wow! And that's the backstory for the words I wanted to share with you. The backstory before the words, and, and, and once the offering was collected, this is what he said. But who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to give as, can you say that word, as, as this? Everything comes from you, and we've only given what comes from your hand. 
The guy who just gave 110 tons personally, that's what David gave, said, this wasn't mine anyway. Love you, God. And that's so incredible. Well, I think that's a phenomenal way to kick off our series, Generous. To understand as a starting point that everything we have is a gift from his hand. And so today, I want to prove a different premise, though. Today, I want to go beyond finances. I want to go beyond uh, what God has given us financially because what I want to prove is our first fill-in, that I believe God's generosity goes way beyond, way beyond money and material things. What you have in your wallet, what you have in your bank account, what you have in your 401k, that is the tip of the iceberg for the generosity of the heart of God. And that's what I hope you see this morning. All right? Did I lose anyone yet on this uh, conversation on money? No one's walked out quite yet. All right. We're good. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to get into the book of First Peter. And uh, what you need to know about First Peter is that uh, Peter is writing to Christians under suffering. And if you ever doubted God's love, if you ever doubted God's goodness, it is when we suffer. See, suffering kind of clouds the identity of God, and we start to wonder, is the future going to be okay? And we start to wonder, God, are you really on my side? God, do you really love me? And into this dynamic, Peter writes about the generous heart of God and all that he has done. And so I invite you to follow along. Worship folders or your Bibles this morning are on the screen. Uh, here are the words from 1 Peter. Rich, rich words um, that I'll have to read carefully because they're so rich. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Basically, if I could sum up that run-on statement, Peter was so excited, that was just a run-on statement, that he's saying, uh, God had prophecies, we know the fulfillment, angels would have liked to see him. All right. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. These are rich, rich words. Could you say out loud to someone next to you, giving to God is easy? Giving to God is easy. And then you can say the next one, compared to what he gave. Compared to what he gave. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Anyone go trick-or-treating this past week? Hands up for trick-or-treating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you, you guys know about the parent tax, right? You know, dad tax, mother tax. Uh, we enabled that. So those gifts actually came from us to you, so they come back. Anyway, uh, it's a good illustration. Uh, what did you dress up as? 
What'd you dress up as? Uh, uh, I saw a lot of Top Gun. I saw some superheroes, some minions. Um, but, but I really like, um, you know, when our girls were little, to dress up. Were, were there any angels? To dress up as an angel. And part of the reason I love an angel is it kind of like, you know, uh, does a Christianese on Halloween. Like, we have angels on our side, right, you know? And, and if you're a Christian, you know we believe in angels, right? I consider some of the activity that we know angels are doing right now. That God commands angels to protect us. There are guardian angels. One of my favorite discussions with Christians is, do you have evidence of a guardian angel, right? That's a, that's a fun conversation. Another thing they do is they take us to heaven. So uh, when we die, uh, it, it's recorded in Scripture that they're the ones that take the body to heaven. The word angel itself I love. It just simply means messenger. That, that's what angel means. And, and we see that throughout the Bible, whether it be, you know, to Mary about the birth of Jesus. Um, they're messengers. Perhaps my favorite, though, they're warriors. There's this one account when the people of God were sieged by the army of Assyria, and it only took one warrior angel to decimate that army. Ha, 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 God's in control. When we think of everything about an angel, we might look at angels and, and envy them, right? Like, I'd like to be an angel. That's, that's pretty cool, right? What I think is phenomenal is that today's lesson actually says, the angels envy us. We don't have to envy angels. The angels envy us. In fact, Peter wrote about that. Peter said, even angels long to look into these things. And when it said long in the Greek, it actually meant to lust after, to covet. That's how much they wanted these things. Now, what are these things? Angels longed into the revelation of Jesus Christ. They longed to know the details of God's plan for us. See, for millennia, there were promises about the Savior. There were promises about the salvation of the world. And angels would have loved to know how the dots connected. In fact, uh, here is a graph of all the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in Jesus. And it, it's beautiful to know that God has kept every one of his words. And why angels envy us is because we can pick out those details. So we know that promise to Eve was the one who was going to crush the devil's head. That's Jesus on the cross. That's when his head was crushed. We know that Abraham was promised he'd be a blessing to all nations. And that's because of Jesus, the Savior from Abraham. We know that David was told there'd be a king that reigns forever from his throne. That is the one king of kings, Jesus Christ, whose reign is now and some will come to fruition. We know of the virgin Isaiah prophesied. We even know her by name and it is Mary. We know Bethlehem, Ephrata, and the reason why Jesus went there because of a census. We know salvation history. That's a blessing, friends. That's so awesome. And I could go on and on and on about all that's been revealed to us. But we need to pause and recognize our next fill-in. That God's generosity to us is giving us the details of salvation. If you know these prophecies and their fulfillment... If you know salvation's history, man, are you blessed. We live in an age filled with podcasts and resources where on and on and on we can continue to investigate what angels long to know that have now been revealed. You know, it kind of reminds me of the fascination over treasure and treasure maps. Here's one treasure map. And if you watched Dora the Explorer, you probably grew up with the map, the map, the map, right? 
And uh, there is this, this thing, there's this moment where when they finally see the treasure, you know, if you've watched National Treasure, Outer Banks, or for me it was Goonies. Uh, so this is the Goonies map. Uh, when you finally find the boat with the gold, there's just this like, wow! And you can almost even imagine it. Even though if you're not a treasure hunter, you can imagine what it'd be like to find this lost treasure. Do you know you found it? When we come to this place, you know what we're doing? We're coming to the X that marks the spot. Because in this place, I remind you, God has grace for you and mercy is new every morning. God has forgiven your sins. God is working on your behalf. God has a forever home for you in heaven. This is amazing. And we build our ministry doling out the treasures that Jesus Christ has given us, the treasures that Jesus has for everyone. That's amazing to know. But God's generosity goes on and we just finished a series called Guardrails. And I don't know if you experienced what I did, but when we peered into God's idea on sex or on politics or on words, there's this observation that like, man, God's ways are good. God's ways, they're better than what the world is doing. Right? And Peter says that God has redeemed us from unsuperior ways, from ignorant ways. In fact, look at the next verse from Peter. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What it's saying is that based on the world's ideas, we could be ignorant. But God is a heartbeat. It's called holiness. And ours is to beat in tune with his to make the same melody that's coming from his heart. Holiness is keeping in step, keeping in tune with Jesus Christ, with his heart. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to the subject of money. There's a lot of worldly ideas that are not God ideas when it comes to our finances. In fact, I think when it comes to money, the, the perception is that it's all for me. I came up with a new phrase. Are you ready for it? I don't know if you're going to like it. There is no I in team, but there's a me in money. You like it? There is no I in team, but there is a me in money. And that shows us what we usually do with money. We have this idea that if it's in my possession, it must be for, be for my pleasure. That when the increase comes, it's then that I can buy that car, that house, go on that vacation, Right? And what we're going to learn throughout this series is that sometimes God gives the money to you but expects it to flow through you. Sometimes the money he gave didn't intend to stop with you alone but was meant to flow to those around you, flow to other circumstances. We're going to talk about the beautiful opportunity to support gospel ministry through the money that God gave. It's amazing that the gospel can be proclaimed, that missionaries can be sent all through a simple thing called money. In fact, at the end of the series, I hope that you glob onto our mantra that it's not a have to give. This is a get to give because God's desires here too are good. But this might be one of the toughest things to talk about because it feels so personal. Over any other series, this might be the one that you go back and discuss like, uh, honey, uh, if you want to miss the next three weeks, what do you think? Because we know it's a struggle. 
We know that when it comes to riches and affluence, it's not sinful to be rich, but man, are there more temptations as riches come. And that temptation is to run after them rather than run after God. To misprioritize, just say, I want more and more and more. See, the sinful heart says, I don't want to change the world through money. I want to change my world through money. And I want God to give me more. So we got to start with repentance. We got to take a real assessment of what greed has done to grab hold of our hearts. And the way we really assess is we look again at the heart of God. You know, it is one thing to give money. It is another thing to give up your son. It is one thing to swipe a credit card and deal with the bill later. It is another thing to deal with what Jesus had to deal with as he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, knowing exactly how this story would culminate, knowing that he would have to suffer and die just so that sin could be atoned for. And Peter picked up on this. And Peter said, man, it would have been something just to give money and give silver and gold, but that's not what Jesus gave. Rather, Peter said, you know it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That last picture reminds us of Passover, where they took the blood of a lamb and the angel of death passed over. And we live in a society where the wrath of God over sin is still true. And yet God says, in Jesus Christ and because of his blood, you fear it none. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are loved. That's the goodness of God. But what a cost. We talk about the free grace of God, and it is free to us, but it wasn't free. No, it cost Jesus his life. So we see the heart of God, don't we? It's breathtaking. It's beyond what we know. We have yet to reach the limits of his love. You know, something I agree with is what the video said, that I do believe you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. And I don't know where this goes in your mind, but, but to me it goes to like uh, wanting to give your kids the world. So Christmas is coming up. Are they getting out the Christmas lists? And I remember this one Christmas where um, one of my daughters wanted this giant pink unicorn, stuffed animal, right? Giant pink unicorn, the, the kind of size that fills up like the whole bed, you know what I'm talking about? Like, so even when it's on the bed, you can't like snuggle with it, just hogging the whole thing, Right? And one of my favorite moments, I still remember, like, you can't wrap this baby. It's too big, right? So you got to do one of those come down from the stairs things, right? And I still remember, you know, the, the, the look when they, you know, see the big thing, you know, coming down just for them. And as a parent, you're like, ah! It's what I live for, right? Give me some tears. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we love to make their day. Because the heart of a parent is one that says, man, I would give you the world. This unicorn is nothing. I'd give you whatever it took so that you would know you loved. We're proud of you. We want the best for you. And isn't that what God did? God came into this world, and he's so excited for you to go on this journey we're at every level. Really, I get that, and I get that, and I get that, all because you're good? Yes. Yes, son. Yes, daughter. And that would be enough. 
And I suppose there's a part of me that just wants to end it with amen right here because that's the gospel, right? And I could say with Luther, you know, and then just live your life out of the love of God, but I want to talk a little bit more specifically. Is that okay? Because I think there's this vision of what God could do if we ran after his heart. This vision of what could change in the world if we ran after his heart. In fact, your next step this morning is this, that you are to pray and pursue modeling the heart of God and your generosity. And to give you that vision, I want to talk a little bit about the perspective Peter gives. To do that, I need to reference hotels. Does anyone else enjoy staying at a hotel? So here's my picture of a hotel. I don't know what it is about. Maybe that you don't have to clean, right? Uh, maybe that you're free, you're on vacation. I know some of you use it for business. But I want to let you into our world. Um, we're kind of weird when it comes to hotels. Are you ready for some weirdness? So when we go to a hotel, um, we like to buy our own soap and shampoo. So we have specific wants when it comes to soap and shampoo. And so we'll find a drugstore and we'll buy our own shampoo shampoo and soap. On very certain occasions, specific ones, we know the towels are used by other people, so we like to buy our own fuzzy towels because we're on vacation. And then, I don't know if you've ever been in a hotel room where you just don't like the aesthetic. Like, you walk in and you're like, that's a weird picture. So, Kat, I still remember, like, this one time we were at Kirkland's, you know, it was in the area of the hotel and we bought a new picture and we put it on just because we were so sick of that picture. You know what I'm talking about? You, can you relate? You can't relate to this? Well, maybe you can relate to this next one. When we get to a hotel and it has one of these small TVs and the big game is on, I can't deal with that. There's this one time, it was like around, you know, January 1st where all the college football games were on. And so I knew, like, super sales, and so I did this thing where I bought a 50-inch TV and I put it in place of this small TV because we were on vacation. And if you really believe me, <laughs> then I got you right where I want to. Because some of you are thinking, Pastor, it's only a hotel room. Why would you ever change the picture? Why would you change the TV? And that's my Yahtzee, that's my got you, ha, ha, ha. Because what I'm telling you is this life is our hotel room. We're not here long. Your house is a hotel. Your house is a tent. So why do those things matter? See where I was going? And that's what Peter said. Peter gave us a reference point for our lives here on earth, even if we're suffering, even if we don't have a lot. The next verse tells us we're supposed to live in reverent fear because we are what? Foreigners. What is a foreigner? A foreigner is someone who's only visiting. A foreigner is someone who's not there yet. They're just making their short stint here, and they're moving on. That's what you and I are. And it actually gives us a lot of hope. Because whether you like the pictures on the wall or the size of the TV or the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive or the lunch that you eat or the job that you... It's not forever, folks. There's only one forever home. And that's the spot God has prepared for you by his side. And so we find that God has a plan for our life. But because of this, he also has a plan for our money. And that's our next fill-in. God doesn't just have this plan for our life. It's a plan for money. And what is that plan? 
What are his ways? Are they good? I want to give you a passage, and I want you to just ask the question. After you hear this passage, is God good? At the end of this passage, does he want good for me? So I'm not going to get too much into the details. I'm excited for next week. Pastor Jeff will be preaching on the generosity ladder, get more into the ways of God. But I just want to start off the conversation with one passage and ask, is this a good plan? Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then the barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. One reason why it's a get to give is because God is going to invite you to try to outgive him and see if he's not faithful and see if he's not good. In fact, first fruits is kind of a, a neat practice. So I, I know we don't live in an agrarian society anymore. We're not all farmers. Uh, but this has uh, to do with this idea that when the first of the harvest came up, that's what you would give to God. And it was a trust exercise. Because after you gave the first harvest, you didn't know if it was going to be a bumper crop. You didn't know if it was going to be a lean crop. You had no idea. And so God says, you go first and trust me after. And that's actually how giving still works. The reason first fruits is up there, because our sinful hearts want to when-then giving. Do you know what I talk about when it takes to when-then giving? This is what I mean by it. Our sinful hearts want to say, well, when I get a better job, then I can start giving. When it's not so tight and inflation numbers aren't crazy, then I can get back to where I was. When the kids are a little bit older and mom has a job, then we can start giving. When the kids are not teenagers and don't need cell phones and all this stuff, then I can start giving. When the kids are out of college, then I can start giving. When the kids finally get their own place and stop boomeranging and coming back to my house, then I can start giving. And the thing about when, then giving, you can always find another then. And it's not how it works. It's not how it ever worked. Because that's not what faith is. See, faith is being sure that when we obey God, he's got us on the other end. That when we trust his ways, He's going to speak into our lives and protect us. And so what does it look like, not only first fruits, but what would it be with our wealth? Well, again, I'll let Jeff uh, talk more about this. Um, one of the words tossed around in Christian circles is tithe. And that has a reference to 10%. And I want to give you just a little bit of framework about what's going on in Christianity and what could go on if Christians tithe. So just a broad stroke Christianity, not Amazing Love, not Illinois, but do you know, um, well, maybe I'll ask you to pick the percentage. What percentage do you think in general Christians are known for giving to God? Just have you stew on that. What percent do you think in general Christians are giving back to God? The research would show 2.5%. In general, Christians give 2.5% back to God. Someone was studying and, and researched if every Christian tithe or just gave the benchmark of 10%, which is a starting point for giving, if every Christian tithe, uh, this researcher said there'd be $165 billion more money. And so Mike Holmes, who put this together, had some ideas of what that could do. He said with $165 billion, $25 billion could relieve global hunger. 
12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues. Um, 1 billion could fund all overseas mission work. 100 and 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion for the grace of God. Wow! Is it possible that generosity can change the world? I think it's more than possible. It's how it happens. But more than that, these are heart matters. And what I believe about giving generously is that it's a silent shout to say I love you. It's silent because only God will know. Only God will know what is proportional or sacrificial. It's a shout because when it happens, he's like, wow, you really said something. And I know this from a story of Jesus in the temple. So Jesus observed worship back in his day, went to the temple, and as part of worship, people were giving offerings, and some of them were throwing in bags of gold. And then this widow came with two copper coins, and Jesus couldn't be quiet about it because she was shouting in a silent way. And Jesus knew what was going on. And he told the disciples, here's a picture of that widow, and here's the passage. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put all she had to live on. This widow didn't give 10%. She just gave 100%. That's incredible. This widow was shouting so much that Jesus had to say, look at what she's doing. That is our opportunity. The opportunity of this series is letting generosity change the world. And it's also silently shouting to God, I love you. You can have it all. It's all yours anyway. As long as I got you, I have enough. May God so bless you with that kind of heart. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to encourage one another that we have a, a common God, a common faith. Uh, we use today the words of the Apostles' Creed. There we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.